It's the 50th episode of the podcast. Wow. 50 episodes. It's been quite a journey, and I've learned a lot along the way. And this is the Spinster Life Podcast, the podcast that's nostalgic for 2020. Thank you for coming along with me and listening to the past 49 episodes as I've learned and grown. You've been with me through the ups and downs, the good, the bad, the technical glitches, the triumphs. Your support means so much to me. It means that I'm onto something and I'm adding something to the world that's valuable. That I'm making a difference, even if it's a very small difference in someone's life. And if you wanted to get me a little gift, I have a few ideas on my registry. You can rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It really helps to raise awareness of the podcast and get it out and in front of more people's earballs. You can also tell a friend or share The Spinster Life on social media. I've made it easy for you, and you can find a link to some social media assets and social media copy in the show notes. Your support helps new listeners discover the show and helps to support independent content creators like me. I'm not part of a big podcast network. I'm not backed by corporate sponsors to help me promote the show. I'm a team of one. I'm the writer, producer, talent, editor, marketer, all of it. It would mean so much to me if you could help me get the word out about The Spinster Life. Now, on with the show. To commemorate the 50th episode of the podcast, I'm going to do a radio drama clip show. Clip shows were a fixture of sitcoms, especially in the 80s and 90s. It was a way for producers of the show to conserve the budget so they could shoot a blockbuster season finale. I also like bottle episodes, which is an episode that takes place in just one location. And this episode is kind of that too. It's inspired by my love of TV, something I share with Lucy Rivers, a frequent contributor to the show. Thanks, Lucy. Anyway, I could geek out over TV all day, among other topics. And I have. When I first started this podcast, I envisioned a very rigid structure, which is talk about the life of one spinster and only talk about how being single shaped this woman's life. Along the way, the podcast has become so much more than I could have ever imagined. I'm so grateful for all the guests I've spoken to along the way for sharing their perspectives and expanding my vision to include topics that touch the lives of not just single women, but all women. It's been a long and crazy journey, and in honor of that journey, I'm taking a look back and having some fun with the format of the show. So picture it. October 2020. I've just finished editing the first episode of the podcast. My finger is hovering above the post button. I'm full of self-doubt, fear, and anticipation. Is this episode going to be a success? Is anyone going to listen? Is everyone going to listen and judge me? What happens next? I'm going to go back in time to confront my past self about all my doubts. We're talking about Susan B. Anthony. Anthony. Susie. That she hated being called <laughs> Oh, Susie. God, no. Do not call her Susie. Yeah, she probably fucking hated that. Women basically had no rights in marriage. A woman had no recourse. Because it was, like, so, like, mind-blowingly controversial to think that, like, a woman could have rights. It was seen as... Oh, the house, that's man's pro- men's property. And the children, those are the men's children. And yes. she was just there to birth them and bathe them. But she could divorce her husband. But yeah, she wouldn't get anything out of it. Yeah. You have to stay in it and put up with it because there was no other alternative yeah. for you. Except for spinsterhood. If you got married legally, well, even if you didn't get married legally, you were not considered a person, basically. Mm. Yeah. Like, you didn't really have rights that people had. People right. meant white male her initial idea was, I don't need to vote. I just need to make as much money as a man. And then she was like, no, if I want to make as much money as a man, I have to be able to say who's in charge. Like, I have to have a say yeah. in who gets elected and, and yeah. the policies. 
Yeah. And were people listening to her? Other women were listening to her. Other women were listening. Well, no, not even all other women, because there were women who were like, no, you can't. No, that'll take away your femininity. There were still these women who were like, no, if you have this basic human right, then you won't be feminine anymore. And then society will explode. The OG, I'm a woman, but I'm not a feminist type. Yeah. She spent a lot of time just getting people to listen to her. She'd go in to speak at places and they'd be like, oh, well, woman, you can't speak. And she'd have to like spend the time telling them like why she should speak. Yeah. And just slowly chipping away at people. So like people were trying to discredit her, right? The one, they didn't want to listen to her just because she was a woman and she's up there talking and being like, listen to me. And they're like, why the fuck should we? Well, there it is, the first episode of the Spinster Life podcast. It only took me 10 hours to edit, and it sounds like it's recorded in a tin can, and I don't know shit about Susan B. Anthony or history, and I sound like a moron. I can't post this. It's too embarrassing. What if everyone hears it and laughs at me? Or worse, what if no one hears it and they laugh at me for that? Post it. What the fuck? Post it. It'll all work out. You'll see. Who the fuck are you? I'm you from the future. Why are you haunting me? You're the one who's haunting me. You're going all back to the future. There's a picture of me that's slowly disappearing because your actions are going to erase me. Oh, God, stop being so dramatic. I'm serious. If you don't post that episode now, then the whole show will never be. Listen to this. It's the latest episode. We all love cats. I mean, just post a video to TikTok and watch it go viral. But do we extend that same love to cat ladies? Not so much. We've been fed a stereotype of a sad, sad single woman who loves cats more than people and is grotesque because of her cat obsession. So let's explore some of the real faces behind the stereotype. On this episode, I talked to three of my favorite cat ladies, Laysan Khalibubina, Lucy Megason, and Haley Shapley, about how they came to be cat ladies. And even though I don't have cats myself, I'll be sharing my own cat lady origin story. And this is the Spinster Life Podcast, the podcast that will knock that water glass off the counter if you leave it too close to the edge. Wait, what happened to Eva? She had to quit. I can't do this all alone. I hate podcasts where it's just one person in a room reading from a script. Podcasts are two people riffing off of each other. End of story. Well, they're not. You can actually do this yourself. And you will. You can adapt. There will be guests. You're going to do some episodes by yourself. But you got this. It's going to take time to find your footing, but you'll get better. And guess what? You'll never be perfect. There will always be things that you could do better. I still don't know. I could just not post this and pretend like none of this ever happened. All right, then. Buckle up, Cupcake. I have more things to show you. There are so many more spinster stories to tell. You're just going to stop talking about these single women and what they've contributed to the world? Our spinster this month is renowned science fiction author Octavia E. Butler. She knows herself well, and I think to be a great writer, you really have to know and understand yourself, you know? so I think she can understand herself because she was an only child. I can relate to that. I'm an only child. You have a lot of time to yourself. Yeah, I mean, and her being a hermit. Right, exactly. You're someone who's very comfortable being by yourself for long periods oh, yeah. of time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Maybe not even I mean, comfortable. Maybe, like, who who revels? <laughs> yes, that is the word. I do. I revel in being alone. And I'm sure Octavia did, too. I want to discuss the hermity spinsterness of it all, because it is much harder to be a hermit when you... Uh, are in a relationship, you know, you have like barbecues and shit to go to, you have social engagements. But, you know, if you're 
a spinster, that's one half of the equation that you don't have to deal with. And you can just hermit and write. You can just hermit and write. I think, hermit and write. you know, I mean, you could find another hermit, but then I think by default, you're no longer a hermit. Um, yeah. It takes a certain type of person to be able to do that. You know what I mean? To to be fulfilled in your life by being alone and by, you know, hermit crabbing your life and in this whole like writer's life. I mean, she she lived like writer's life with a capital W. If you heard the last episode with Emma, which was about being child free, she told us about her favorite spinster. Please correct me on the pronunciation. Marie Marvon. Yeah, pretty good. Okay, thank you. Thank you. I took high school French, so <laughs> so I can almost say some words. Marie was everything. She's a groundbreaking athlete, pilot, speaker, all around badass person. So we're going to talk about her life today. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the movie version of that, because we both cannot believe that there is not a movie about Marie right. already. Mm-hmm. I know. That was my first thought when I finished the book. It was like, where's the movie? <laughs> right. It's such an epic story. She remained single her whole life. But I feel like a lot of these pioneering women, especially in mountain climbing, were either single their whole lives or at least single at the time when they did that. Because right. once you get married, it's like, no way are you climbing a mountain. Now you're you're a married I, wife. <laughs> yes. And you and you are oh, a vessel for children, and we must yes. protect that. Your your domain is the home, so you should stay there. Yeah, and it would be a shame on your husband if people knew his right. wife was climbing yeah. mountains. What, what would they think of him? <laughs> yeah, imagine the shame he lets his <laughs> wife do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so, given yeah. how outdoorsy she was, you can see why that was like already an incentive to never marry because she was like, I, I want to climb mountains and I'm, <laughs> if I get right. married, I'm probably going to be pressured to stop. But not all spinsters are amazing. Even Susan B. Anthony was problematic. She routinely silenced black suffragists and whitewashed the whole movement. I can't let anyone know about that. I'll make being single look bad. No, you won't. You'll find a way. They're not the one who stigmatized singleness. That's the patriarchy. Why did I pick Coco Chanel to cover out of all of the spinsters that are and have ever been? Well, this is my chance to start doing something I've needed to do for a long time, and that is inject a bit of nuance into the show. Because most of the women I've talked about on this podcast are flawed people, especially people from around this time period. Let's take Susan B. Anthony, for example. She was alive at the same time Coco was. Their fame didn't overlap. Coco became well-known way after Susan B. Anthony died, but they both come from a time when class was much more rigid and racism was a very prominent feature of the societal fabric. In the late 1800s or early 1900s, a politician or a public figure wouldn't get pushback for saying something racist. In fact, they would probably get more pushback from being anti-racist. And even as late as the Obama administration, gay marriage wasn't something politicians could back and not get pushback for. So humans have a troubling and problematic past with social issues. It only stands to reason that Susan B. Anthony said racist things and that Coco Chanel was an anti-Semite. And it only stands to reason that I need to change how I cover spinsters on this podcast. I haven't been as nuanced in my coverage of spinsters as I would have liked. I didn't know how to call these spinsters' past behavior out without feeling like I was giving all spinsters a bad name, so I leaned into fangirling over them. I, myself, am a complex and flawed person. And studying history, I've 
really come to believe that no person from history should be fawned over or put on a pedestal. But we also don't have to throw out their contributions to the feminist movement or to the way women move through the world. We can recognize the good things they did while also discussing how we've evolved to the point where we can call out their bad behavior. I feel like Mindy's telling me there isn't a perfect way to do it, which I still don't believe, but... But I'm taking notes. There certainly must be a code somewhere. But, you know, if you're going to use a crib sheet, you know, Mindy's isn't a bad one to use. Yeah, not at all. Um, I do want to know, like, what was what made you want to talk about Mindy in general? Because she's definitely not our typical spinster. Right. Um, It was it was the kids thing. Yeah, she is not our typical spinster. That obviously, like romantic things, you know, dating is might have been a part of her story at one point. She's clearly a romantic. I mean, the girl's obsessed with love. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And then she like she isn't married. Yeah. But she has yeah made the choice. She she did the steps out of order and she may never do the marriage step. And yeah, I just wanted to explore that because, um, you know, we're 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 we might be spinsters, but we're not celibate. No, God, no. And I think also, like, we're both also getting to that age with regard to kids. We kind of have to decide in the next couple of right. years, like we, TikTok. We yeah, the whole saying that like fifty is the new forty and sixty is the new fifty, and whatever you know. And it's like, yes, but like now when it comes to this, you know, like there's still a limit. Yeah, we have to push back all these decisions because of like college or wanting to be set up financially and getting far. Yeah, and there's like all this debt. And it's, I mean, I look around in my life and I'm like, how in God's name would I have a kid? Like, where would I put it? How would I pay for it? Mindy has kids. Is she even a spinster? Yes, because spinsters come in all different flavors. And spinsters, just like everyone else, are multifaceted and care about more than just being single. I can only post content about spinsters, only women who have never been married. That's what spinster means. That's the whole conceit of the show, and that's who I intend to represent, only spinster women. Yeah, there are great stories about single, unmarried, and child-free women, but those aren't the only stories that single women are interested in. You don't always have to talk about some dead white woman, do you? Don't you want to talk about money and relationships and the movies and TV shows that depict single women as sad and sex-starved? Welcome to the Spinster Life Podcast. I'm Amy. I'm Laurel. And we're going to find out what it was like to live like Gloria Steinem. How I went about living like Gloria Steinem. I read seven of her essays in addition to some of the other research that I did, I distilled down the ideas from the essays and turned them into challenges for myself. And I embarked on on those challenges throughout the week. I'm going to challenge beauty standards in my own accessible way. And I'm not going to wear makeup in front of the camera. I'm not a huge makeup person, and I rarely wear a full face of makeup in real life. So I don't think this will be that hard. Oh my God, you guys, I failed. I failed. I failed the challenge miserably. So I... I was not able to take pictures of myself without makeup. Well, I took a couple, but I just, I couldn't look at them. I couldn't keep them on my phone. I had to delete them. I just, I really thought this would be a lot easier than it was. It's really upsetting. Like, I'm not a crier, but I kind of feel like I want to cry. A, because my face really looks like that. Like, that blotchy red mess, that's, that's what I got up top. That's what I'm working with. And be that after all the work that I've done on myself and my self-esteem and and not worrying about what I look like and trying not to concentrate on look so much, I am still 
really, really fucking hung up on my appearance. And I, I know that I'm more than that. I know that I'm more than my appearance, but and even if I look like shit, I'm still worthy of feeling better about myself. But just Jesus Christ, I just could not subvert the expectations of standards of beauty. I, uh, yeah, I just couldn't. So yeah, so that was, uh, that was day two. I did not expect that result. I was thinking about it while you were going over that. I've been thinking similar things along those lines lately, just in my own personal healing journey. It's one thing to know you should feel a certain way or you shouldn't care about something. And it's a completely other thing to really take in that information and to incorporate it into your life. There's, it's a huge difference between knowing I shouldn't care if my belly is kind of soft and you can see that through my shirt and I'm not sucking it in. And it's another thing to go out into the world and not suck it in and not, and have someone even outside of yourself criticize you and be able to just be okay with that anyways. Processing that type of information is a whole other level of... It's deprogramming. It's like Depro- I, that's this, the word. Yeah. this script was running for so many years of this is what women look like and this is what a beautiful mm-hmm. woman looks like and a beautiful woman is a valuable woman. So that's what you want to be. And that's the only reason why women are valuable. Like right. There's just so many arrows. Like if there was a if the patriarchy had a, a dry erase board, that's <laughs> what would be circled and all of the arrows would be pointing at that. Pretty. Just be pretty and just be pretty. And that's the only way and, that will allow you to live. And be pretty in the way that we like you to be pretty. Yeah. Don't be pretty in the way that you find yourself pretty. Not that I found myself pretty when I was confronted with my awful fucking skin. <laughs> we treat singleness as a waiting room like we're just waiting for somebody to come in and call our name like the doctor's office or something like that and it shouldn't be it is so much like the doctor's office because it's like a thing that you need to fix about yourself so we just sit there in this waiting room hoping that we bump into the right person hoping that somebody chooses us and we really don't take advantage of this amazing time because when you're single, there are things that you have the time, sometimes the finances, sometimes just the energy to do that you can't in a relationship or especially if you start having a family. So I think that being single, especially traveling when single is one of the most beautiful things that you can do and the self-awareness and the self-worth that you can build from it is absolutely huge advocate of solo travel. And After years of doing that myself, I actually was never concerned about getting married, was never that concerned about having a partnership. I didn't like my parents' relationships. Most people around me seemed pretty unhappy. So I was cool talking to singles about being singles. This is really sad is that women come to me and they say, I don't know what I want. I don't know what I want. And they feel really sad and shameful about it. And I'm like, hey, we've been socialized to shut down our sexuality for so long. We've been shamed for masturbation. Male masturbation is totally normalized and joked around in movies. When do you see female masturbation being joked about? There's not an openness about women exploring their sexuality. So to me, I'm like, well, yeah, duh, of course you don't know about yourself. I think that most women don't know about themselves. And so I really encourage women to explore it, but without shaming themselves. Don't beat yourself up about it. 
You know, if you're in your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, and you still don't know about what it is that you want, that's okay. We've been socialized to be givers, to be the ones that are following someone else. And it's not your fault. You just haven't been intentional about making it a priority in your life. And and once you do, then these things will all come together. Yeah. And there's so much shame, too, about even wanting something specific in sexual oh, encounters. Sure. Like there's so much shame around just women's sexuality in general, or even talking about wanting to have casual sex. There's just so much shame wrapped up in all of this. Yeah, I think it's quite clear now. I think we're talking about this a lot more about how there isn't a, a parallel word for men for women for slut. Right? Women are called sluts, but where's the word for man for men? There, there's no shame in them being a slut. They're they're a player. Like right. it's a compliment. Like you you got laid. You got a lot of partners, man. You must be you got you have, have really good game. You're a really good lover. But if a woman has a lot of partners, it's like ooh, what's wrong with you? You poor thing. Right? Do you have like sex? Do you have sexual trauma? Do you have daddy issues? Fuck you. Get yeah, right. I, oh my I'm god. Just so, <laughs> like oh, it's so it's so disgusting. It's so disgusting, and I don't know why it's still so prevalent. We've come so far in so many areas and we're still giggling little 13-year-olds, teehee women's sexuality. Well, I mean, we continue to learn about sex from Hollywood. Our parents are still not talking about it. And and when I say Hollywood, I also mean porn. Mm, yeah. So, you know, in California, San Fernando Valley, that was always the joke. <laughs> That's where all the porn is made. But now it's made everywhere. everywhere. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. Yeah. Hollywood sex is it's it looks so unsatisfying. It's like you kiss for 30 seconds and then immediately to penetration. Like it's Oh my God. And 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 he and somehow he's able to hold you up against the wall or the shower without his legs getting sore. Right? Huh. Well, I guess it's if it's only 30 seconds, then yeah, he can Yes. <laughs> well, because you come in 30 seconds. Yeah. Right? Like she she comes. Just like a, the taste of his lips and the penetration of his cock makes her come and scream in, in pleasure. It, and this is what people are learning. Or there's a lot of the, this is what women are learning. And then the men are learning from porn, which is that we scream and we perform and we want to be screwed really hard and we don't really need much foreplay. And... And we really love sucking dick for like about 45 minutes. (laughs) How you develop that expertise around helping single women. Sure. Before I specialized in women, I was just dealing with a lot of wealthy married couples, basically, because that's who had a bunch of money. But even in that niche, so to speak, there's still so many different situations. They're different goals. Some of them inherited money. Some of them made a bunch of money. Some of them spend a lot of money. Some of them don't spend any. You just you just get to know all these different situations. And so over time, I kind of collected all of this information on all these experiences that I had with these clients. And and then when I started, you know, I'd work with these women who are on their own for the first time making financial decisions on their own. Each one of their situations is different. If a client comes to you, how do you get started working with them? What does that look like? So I typically take them through a similar process each time. We start by identifying what their goals are. I don't care about any of their financial data until we talk about what are we trying to accomplish? What do you want to accomplish with your life? What do you want 
your finances to be like in order to support that life? What do you want out of working with me? Like we just talk about goals, big picture, and then we try to get we start as big picture as we can, and then we get more specific. And and then that once we have those goals established, that's going to guide the rest of our time together. Quite often, genealogy is a patriarchal-led research. Women take their husbands' last names. Women take their husbands' last names, and they often get lost in history in some families. But what has been unique in our family is that all of these generations, these women have always used their maiden names. They've always used their maiden names within their name. I thought a lot about this topic in doing this show on a number of different levels. First of all, I do not like your name. I don't like Spinster. I don't think that <laughs> I think <laughs> I think that we as women have various chapters in our lives. And um in researching our family history, and not just our family, but the lives of the women whose lives touched ours. There were many women who were not married. And when I say that we have many chapters is that what happens in this chapter may be dramatically different than what happens in the next. So I don't think that we should assign ourselves or categorize ourselves, but to be open to life and love and to where it it leads us. What about Black Widow? We should probably talk about Black Widow considering she is essentially, she is the first superheroine of the MCU because she first appears in Iron Man 2. Granted, like she's she's like barely there. No character development like whatsoever. She's there to be mysterious <laughs> and alluring and look highly skilled as a spectacle. And that's literally all like her job is in that film. But there is progression, obviously. She undoubtedly has the most screen time of any superheroine in the MCU to date. There's just a hell of a lot to be said for the sexualization of, of her and, yes. and them in general. Black Widow typifies or is a great example for the overarching problems that exist in the MCU. I was reading some really interesting research that was from the Journal of Student Research. They conducted analysis of female representation in the MCU, and they concluded that females in the MCU were sexualized basically from all angles. The directors sexualized them by the choice of angles, by the choice of shots, et cetera, et cetera. Shout out for that good old concept of the male gaze in cinema at that point. (laughs) Ultimately, the authors of this research, they they felt that Marvel lacked female inclusivity. And one of the the worst aspects of this is the way that the treatment of female characters serves to uphold patriarchal structures and preserve these kind of really harmful stereotypes. So I think there's a lot to be said for the objectification there. But then also think about other things like, think of the narrative of the damaged single woman as well. Like she was made infertile, like by force, like she was sterilized. Right, yeah. And stuff, right? If you remember that, that's like really disturbing stuff. It's thrown out there and like practically got like never returned to again. I think it came up in Ultron or something. And it gives her the perceived reason, like for her singleness by way of this damage, as if being a spy and an adventure wasn't enough for someone to have on their plate anyway. Right. But, you know, <laughs> the sterilization like serves both to, both to uphold these disturbing concepts of damaged goods, some women losing their worth as potential partners if they cannot be mothers. Right. And, and, and how that's the only way that she can fit in with this mm, group is if all of that stuff about her 
is removed, if you can remove mm, um, yeah. you know, that, that part of her as like the stripping femininity. Yeah. Yeah. Stripping femininity, stripping the possibility of motherhood. It links to this idea of motherhood and caring and morality. Only if you take away those things, could you possibly in any way match up to what a man could do in these positions and in these situations, right? So I think that that's really interesting. But even worse, when this convo is brought up about her sterilization, she asks Bruce uh, Hulk, if knowing this, he still thinks that he's the only monster in the team. As if, right? Yeah, as if, as, that, if like, her, as if, you know, her infertility makes her monstrous. Right. You know? That is certainly fucked up. Wow. I never imagined. No, you haven't. Nothing is off limits. But I don't know everything about everything. You don't have to. Your guests will do that for you. My guests? I mean, no one will want to be on my show. Oh, yeah? Today, I am joined by Amay Letkin, author of The Lonely Hunter, an amazing memoir about her time as a single woman. Welcome, Amay. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I am too. Let me just tell you, I devoured this book. I identified so much with the book. I saw myself in these pages. There is this like mythology that everybody is entitled or destined for some sort of romance. Like it'll happen no matter what. If you're like a kind of normal, reasonably attractive person, <laughs> you are going to find love. And I just think logically that's not true. Like love is very random in a way. It's like about being in the right place at the right time with the right person. I think we're all capable of loving and being loved by many people, but it just doesn't always align. So after that conversation, I was kind of like haunted by it. I felt like, okay, well, maybe there is something wrong with me. And if I just get with the program, I'll be rewarded by a relationship. But I wrote this piece for Jezebel about the conversation, and it was called, When Can I Say I'll Be Alone Forever? Like, you're not allowed to ever admit that you've stopped looking or that you don't think you're going to have a relationship. You always have to, like, kind of be pretending to be reaching for something better than what you already have if you're single. And I got such a response from it. Like, so many people wrote to me and were like, I actually have gone through the same thing. I've been single for years. I have a lot of trouble meeting anybody. Like, there are all sorts of different reasons why people were single or isolated. I'm here with Mary Delia Allen, and she is the author of Enjoy Your Solo. I am a family of one. If, and I really feel this way if you're a young person. You know, you use the word spinster, and I like that word for a lot of reason. And I chose the word solo because I wanted it to be defined differently. This is just a fleeting, precious time in your life that you're by yourself. I'm not saying you're going to be single forever. If you still want someone to ride up on a horse, like in the Taylor Swift song, I want that for you. But before that, are we just going to spend all our time thinking about partnership? Also, you can be dating someone and still have a solo. A solo is, I am a family of one, addressing my own needs with my own resources. That is a perfect explanation of <laughs> um, of what this can be that takes away all of that stigma of loneliness. Or like you're some kind of like weird loner, like you're disconnected from anything. So that stems from that lonely, that cat lady or the grouchy bachelor, get off my lawn. That came from when you had to be coupled up for survival. And so the people who were left out were maybe quirky or were outside of the norm or were doing something different. So that's where that comes from. But now singles are 48% of the population. We are not quirky. That's untrue anymore. It is. Funny to say that because I would say that that stigma, that vision we have in our head of a single person still is that 
quirky or desperate or we still have these ancient outdated stereotypes that don't match with the actual demographics of what we're seeing what my parents were telling me and get married they meant be safe be have someone take care of you those are wonderful things but now times have changed and you can do that for yourself and the better you do that for yourself the better partner you would be i would say so there's one I would thing i 100% about, agree there's one thing about being single and then sort of the next layer is there's this aggrandizement of romance and partnership and it's going to be so perfect and I won't have these problems when I have a partner. I won't grow without a partner. Comparison is the thief of joy and comparing the worst parts of being single with the best parts of being in a couple is just a recipe for your own unhappiness. I'm joined by Lucy from Spinsterhood Reimagined. That's right. There's more than one Spinster podcast. Love that about this single lady space. We're here to support each other. We're not competing. Exactly. We're all in this together. I really am very committed to living the spinster life. I really can't imagine another way to be living right now. It just makes total sense. And it has just been one of the best things that I've ever done for myself. I just feel so much less stress and annoyance and yeah. Yeah. And I'm having a great time getting to know myself. It's so interesting. I find that some people think of the word spinster as they think of it as something that we're kind of permitted to be forever. And the reason I ask you this is because I personally don't think, I mean, A, it, I wouldn't actually describe myself as a spinster if I was having a conversation with somebody I'd never met in my entire life. I sort of used the word as a almost a bit tongue-in-cheek when I started my podcast and and because it really is the only word apart from like bachelorette. But it interests me that there are women out there I'm discovering who very much think of the word spinster as being somebody who has made a choice and made a decision to be single forever. And that's not where I'd sit. And although echoing what you just said about how it's the best thing you've ever done and you're absolutely loving it, and I am right there with you. I've been single for nearly five years myself now, and I absolutely bloody love it. And it would take me a lot to get into another relationship, which I'm sure we can go on to talk about. But I don't see myself as necessarily being single for the rest of my life. I might be. I haven't got a fucking clue. It could go either way, but I'm certainly not shut down to the idea of relationship. And I find it interesting when I discover more and more that quite a lot of people who would describe themselves as a spinster have made that decision to be that forever. What was your take on that? I think I'm of a similar mind to you that I don't think that spinster has to mean forever. But I'm also personally discovering that I think I'm I think I'm okay with that. I think I was someone before who was like, oh yeah, I might get married. And I think at this point I would not get married. I think I want my relationship to look different now than I did before I considered yeah. myself a spinster. I think any relationship that I'd be in, I'd want to be much more independent. I don't think I want to move in with anybody ever. My relationships used to look like, hey, let's just spend all of our free time together. And I don't think that it would look like that now. Whilst we're both open to a relationship down the line whenever that may be and I think the great thing about where we both are is that we're not bothered it's like we're not bothered if and when it's going to happen and I think that's my whole point about being single and not having kids and being a spinster 
that even though I am open to a relationship somewhere down the road, the point is that I'd also be happy to stay single. The point is that it's possible to be happy where we are right now. I am here today with Shivani Desai. She is the host of Hot and Heavy, the Elaine Bennis podcast. She is also an actor and a writer. And I am so glad that she could join us today to talk about one of the most interesting spinsters on TV, Elaine Bennis from Seinfeld. Let's talk about her as a single female character on TV in the 90s. I mean, obviously, I have a podcast about single women. (laughs) Just one reason I wanted to talk about Elaine, because she was so different than every other character. That was like single and looking for love. She did date a lot. Yeah. But I don't, I can't say that she was ever looking for love. No. And that to me also, when I was looking back at why, God, why was I so attracted to Elaine and what she was and, and who she was? And it was, again, that was something that was so distinctive about her character where it wasn't this like the ultimate goal of her being was to find the one, you know, and that's just yeah. always watching. And there's nothing wrong with that either. I'll admit it. I like those too. But um, of this, course, uh, there's but, a part but, of me yeah, that but there's, that. Yeah, but right. There is something about uh, her having a personality outside of yes. wanting to be somebody's girlfriend or wanting to be married or, or wanting to be a wife. There's right. something to be said about someone who is like, sure, I'm going to date this guy and I'm going to be annoyed at this ugly jacket that he wears or any of the other myriad reasons right. that she has broken up with guys. And and in pretty much every relationship they show her in, I feel like she's the one sort of calling the, like, she's got the power, right? Like with Putty, I mean, I think I think the Putty <laughs> relationship was so, so funny and so dysfunctional, but so amazing too, because yeah, there were times when she certainly was like calling the shots, but then there were times where, you know, he would sort of give it back to her and you know what I mean? But I also love that too, where it's like, I was so sick of seeing the women always being the killjoy in the relationship. Like we talked about, it's like, oh, okay. They're always like, what are you doing, honey? And you got to put up yeah. the and all that, you know, bullshit that we saw over and over again. And it was like, this was, it was fun to see her kind of be put in her place every now, now and then by, by a guy, you know? Yes, she was single. She was dating. She had sex and she was, it was unapologetic. It, it was presented unapologetically, right? Like there was no, she, yeah. Her being that way was never the butt of a joke. And if it was, it was within like the friend circle and they all ripped on each other about certain things, you know? So it was it, right. She was never shamed within the show, either within like the cast or the, or sorry, like the, the dynamic of the characters or like publicly is like in the pop right. culture. Like she was never looked down upon for being who she was. Like we've had like sexually potent female characters before. Wow. So if I publish this episode, all of that's to come. But but what if that's it? What if I don't have any ideas left after 50 episodes? You will. You will always have new ideas. Too many ideas sometimes. I mean, here are some of the ideas for episodes I've had in the past five minutes. There are going to be more great interviews with authors, filmmakers, and cutting-edge thinkers. More episodes about spinsters like Amy Sedaris, Julia Morgan, Big and Little Edie, Elaine Stritch. And I haven't even told you about all of the other things that we've done. We are now posting regularly on YouTube where we have a thousand subscribers. And we have a Substack newsletter. 
The subscribers get the new episodes of the podcast in their inbox first thing, and we're exploring what it really meant to go on all of those awful dates in our 20s and 30s, and we're learning to heal from it through dating ourselves. Okay, well, here goes nothing. Here we are. Here we are. Episode one, welcome to the Spinster Life podcast, the uh, podcast about spinsters through history. Sup, people. <laughs> I love it. And women are mysterious. What it, <laughs> What the heck what makes them tick? Do? Yeah. Obviously, my degree in education is from Netflix, but in Mad Men times. <laughs> Mine is too. I want that for all of us. I want um, that for all of us. <laughs> That was always the joke. <laughs> and the crazy shit is maybe you're only doing it right if you're constantly questioning if you're doing it wrong. Yeah, I don't think that's it. <laughs> Another thank you to all the great guests I've had on the show over the years. A huge sloppy thank you to everyone who's ever listened. Your support means everything. And I've got a big favor and a big ask. I asked at the top of the show, but please support me and help me promote the spinster life. Tell your friends. I've made it really easy. You can use any of the graphics or a copy that I've provided, and you can just follow the link in the episode description to find all of that copy. You can also follow me on social media, YouTube, Substack, and keep coming back for more. Subscribe to the show in your podcatcher so you don't miss an episode. There are new bi-weekly episodes every other Tuesday. You can subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell so you're notified when I upload. I post new videos on most Sundays. Thank you so much for listening. I am so honored that you have taken the time out of your day to spend a little time with me. Mm-hmm.